This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, July 5th, 2021. I'm Caleb Brown. When the police put a drone in the air to surveil an area for days or weeks at a time, your rights are implicated. In Baltimore, a federal appeals court has said the city's persistent aerial surveillance program is unconstitutional. Cato's Matthew Feeney details what that means for other police data grabs going forward. Police agencies are typically ahead of courts when it comes to uh, technology that may or may not be uh, consequential with respect to constitutional rights, but from the perspective of police allows them to do their jobs a lot easier. Aerial surveillance is one of them. Baltimore is a city that has adopted it in in the wake of Freddie Gray. I know they used a great deal of it for uh, covering, providing data on protests as they were unfolding. What have uh, federal courts now said? Most recently, the Fourth Circuit uh, was heard a case dealing with uh, Baltimore's uh, aerial surveillance program, uh, and they ruled that it violated the Fourth Amendment, which protects against unreasonable searches and seizures. Uh, this is an interesting decision, it seems to me, because the case that the Fourth Circuit relied on actually didn't ostensibly have anything to do with aerial surveillance. The Supreme Court in the past, in a string of cases from the 1980s, did address aerial surveillance. They were looking at cases involving surveillance from airplanes and helicopters, usually um, associated with marijuana growing. Uh, But those weren't the cases that the Fourth Circuit considered. In fact, the Fourth Circuit, in reaching its conclusion that this persistent aerial surveillance was unconstitutional, relied on a more recent case, Carpenter, which we've discussed before. Uh, And that was a case where the court ruled that the warrantless access of cell site locator information uh, violated the Fourth Amendment. So here, the Fourth Circuit isn't looking at um, cases that uh, are associated with the kind of technology we're used to in the past. Uh, they relied on Carpenter, and I, I think it's important to to note that in Carpenter, uh, the Supreme Court ruled that a person does not surrender all Fourth Amendment protections by entering into the public sphere, and that's that's I think very important because this uh, kind of technology in Baltimore uh, is aerial surveillance for sure, but it uh, is a com- completely different kind of technology to the aerial surveillance cases we saw in the 1980s. This was a program that used technology originally designed for use by the, in the military. It covered 32 square miles. It was up for days at a time. Uh, it could cover 90% of Baltimore. Um, individuals and vehicles would show up as pixels. Uh, but despite the fact you can't identify someone if they look like a pixel, you can see where they go at night, where they wake up in the morning, where they're traveling. And uh, that that's an incredible uh, an incredible ability to keep a whole city under surveillance. And I'm, I'm not surprised that a federal court was um, looked askance at that. How relevant is it here? If I, if I recall correctly, in the Carpenter case, um, one of the complaints was about uh, manpower. Mm-hmm. That is the ability to make use of technology to replace officers working the beat. Mm-hmm. How relevant is that? I think it's certainly relevant if you're the police officers who rely on this this technology. Uh, the the we should be in no doubt that this kind of technology is very helpful uh, to police officers. You can uh, hear the report of a crime. You can look at the data collected from the, these airplanes, and you can see where the suspects ventured after where they were beforehand. That's all very valuable. Uh, but I don't think you put the Fourth Amendment through a shredder just because a technology makes police's job easier. Uh, certainly. 
you know, what, an interesting part of this particular case from the Fourth Circuit is um, in the dissent, um, one of the the judges is talking about uh, you know the importance of policing and how violent Baltimore is. And I think as as libertarians, we can all take it as true that policing serve a a role in in, in even a limited government, but that uh, because we believe in policing and the investigation of crimes, that doesn't mean that you get to. Uh, have an aerial panopticon up in the sky to keeping track of law-abiding citizens. Uh, now, the the police department did try to get this case uh, chucked as moot because actually the the program has been rolled back. Uh, but they've retained um, data related to ongoing investigations. But the plaintiffs here were saying, well, but even though you've only retained data associated with ongoing investigations, the uh, the data still includes data related to people completely unrelated to that. Um, mostly, you know, residents in Baltimore who decided to step outside on the day of these crimes. Yeah, it and, would be yeah. one. It would be one thing if the police had uh, knew about a crime and then collected data. Mm. Uh, I think it's quite another if they're collecting vast sums of data and then plucking out what they need for ongoing investigations. Of course. And and many people here might uh, jump in and say, well, but Matthew and Caleb, uh, if if I'm just going to the grocery store or visiting my mother or going to school and returning home and I'm a peaceful law-abiding person, why do I care if they're catching murderers using this kind of technology? Uh, but the problem here, I think there is um, one, as our colleague Patrick Eddington, I think, has um, outlined really well at um, Cato Big Brother, is uh, the list of Groups in American history who have found themselves on the end or on the receiving end of American surveillance is a long but also critically diverse list of people. Uh, and I would also say that even if you're not worried about being the target of surveillance, uh, I, I think there's a good argument that even the knowledge of this kind of uh, surveillance stifles valuable First Amendment protected activities, such as protests against police brutality or religious gatherings or uh, you know visiting a gun club or, or things like that. So uh, the Supreme Court's already ruled in Carpenter. Uh, there was another surveillance case that dealt with uh, attaching a uh, a tracking device to somebody's car. Mm -hmm. um, USV Jones. Jones. So those cases seem to add up to the Supreme Court having taking a pretty dim view of the wholesale collection of data by police agencies of law-abiding citizens' activity, even if ultimately it does help a criminal investigation. Mm -hmm. The court is seems pretty eager to to address uh, new surveillance technologies but uh, after carpenter uh, i think it remains to be seen how technology technology specific the court gets because the 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 court in carpenter is pretty clear saying look you know you don't surrender your rights just because you go outside and there are numerous technologies that can be used to gather information about your public whereabouts in carpenter is self site location information in uh in this case we're talking about aerial surveillance uh you know, jones dealt with a gps tracker on on a car uh, at the core though of of all of these decisions though is is not what i think a lot of uh, civil libertarians might like, which is a fundamental reassessment of the Fourth Amendment and how it's treated. Uh, here in, in in Carpenter, for example, the the court still relied on the so-called cat's test. This this emphasis on reasonable expectation of privacy, and 
we've talked before about that test and and so have some of our other colleagues. Um, it's it's fundamentally um, slippery, I would say. Uh, and and I think that dissenting judges um, oftentimes um, sometimes have a point when they say that these lines are, are blurry or poorly defined. Uh, I, I remember that there being discussions about how Carpenter um, although being applauded by civil libertarians, rested on a pretty specific holding, which is you have a reasonable expectation of privacy to your location being ascertained via cell site location information for about seven days, right? And this is, um, this is, uh, I think, a, a, a difficult way to do Fourth Amendment analysis. There's also, of course, the um, the decades now old third party doctrine, which hasn't undergone a fundamental reevaluation, um, and that. That holds um, that you surrender uh, expectations of privacy to data you quote you know volunteer to third parties. Uh, Congress has improved upon that standard um, for sure, but certainly the, the, it's still good law um, under um, U.S. federal jurisprudence. Yeah, you talk about the third party doctrine, and given that expectation of privacy, however blurry that expectation is in specific circumstances, what are the implications for? private technology that uh, people buy to, for example, look out their front door. This is um, something uh, more and more people in the privacy sector are talking about. Um, I, I think you're alluding to these um, these smart doorbells. Yeah, and that this is just a wider part of these smart uh, smart devices that people are bringing into or onto their home. Uh, so the doorbell being one of them, uh, but there's also concerns about you know smart speakers and and things like that. Uh, you know, the, the the Fourth Amendment is a uh, is governing the actions of of law enforcement uh, and. Um, I don't want to make it sound as if private actors can't be creepy and they can't uh, access uh, rather sensitive data or um, alter behavior in that way. Uh, but but here, at least at, at Cato, I, I find most of um, the concerns focused on, well, how easy would it be for the cops to access my doorbell video? Uh, and, and there, um, I think the government w would argue if this ever came before a court that uh, you you knew that you were buying a device from a company, Amazon or Google or whoever, and if it's recorded video um, related to a crime across the street, then police should be able to access that. Uh, the question then is, though, what sort of standard? Should they need a warrant uh, to, to access it or is is some other standard um, applicable? Uh, but you know, it, to, today it's it's very very common to talk about surveillance capitalism, and more more recently, uh, you've had uh, members of the political right also uh, raising concerns about uh, the surveillance, and most of that I think is couched in a wider concern about so called big tech. But certainly, um, I think there is a pan-partisan uh, agreement that. Uh, there's something pretty creepy about a lot of these um, private devices, uh, just given how much data they collect. This has got to be coming back to the court in some form. I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, more and more law enforcement agencies are clearly interested in aerial surveillance, and the emergence of drone technology has only made that kind of surveillance uh, cheaper. Now, some states have taken the step to impose a warrant requirement on drones specifically, but that doesn't mean that drone surveillance won't eventually end up at the Supreme Court. The crucial question, though, is if the court decides to take a aerial surveillance case, is um, does it continue to use this kind of uh, carpenter analysis, um, or does it reassess it, uh, reassess the aerial surveillance cases from the 1980s? Uh, now, those 
ultimately both of these analyses are going to rest on reasonable expectation uh, and we'll we'll see where the court comes out but what what i think the fourth circuit has demonstrated is that you can come to the conclusion that warrantless aerial surveillance runs afoul of the constitution without having to to mention uh, cases that explicitly dealt with helicopters or airplanes or things like that uh, so for for the time being it seems like carpenter is the the guiding light for uh, emerging technology surveillance cases Matthew Feeney directs Cato's project on emerging technologies. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast pretty much anywhere and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.